Hello, friends and kindness warriors. My name is Cassie Roma, and I'd like to welcome you to Benevolent Banter, a podcast where good chats is where it's at. (laughs) My hope for this podcast is simple, and that is that each episode will be infused with kindness, fun, depth, and a sense of exploration. The end result? A bringing to life of a shared belief that we really can make the world a better place, one conversation at a time. In this podcast, I might be riffing alone, like I am now, or I could have a guest or two along for the ride. Either way, I'd like to thank you up front for sharing your most valuable asset with me, your time. Right, let's get into it. This is Benevolent Banter. red button's going, so I think we're recording. Do you want to test your mic? Testing, testing. Oh, yes. There's the Q voice we all know and love. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Benevolent Banter. Joining me again today is my first twofer, one of my favorite humans. We've got Q back to join us today because we're facing unprecedented times right now. We're facing um uncharted waters we're sailing them aren't we it's a stormy sea right now so q and i have been talking for the last few days about how we can better help the rest of our fauna here in new zealand and globally around tech and adoption and um (laughs) tech adoption that is won't be helping with adoption um and we came up with this idea we've kind of called it iq eq and cq right you've got your um, IQ, you're smart, you've got your EQ, your emotion, and then you've got CQ. Uh, that means you're stuck with uh, Q and I. So <laughs> welcome Q again. Thank you so much for hopping on this recording today. It's so nice to hear your voice. It's weird not to see your face. Yeah, likewise. Um, thanks for having me and setting this all up. I'm really excited to be able to get some content out amidst all of the work from home and remote chats and everything else. And i um, I suppose I look forward to hopefully a few weeks from now when we can do another one of these or something in person. That would be awesome. I mean, you and I, before we started recording, we're just talking about um, the the struggle being real, even for those quote unquote, you know, tech experts, like I'd love to call myself that at times. Mm. Um, but, you know, with coronavirus uncertainty, countries, businesses, all of the stuff's ground to a halt. And we're here kind of having to learn our way through what going forward looks like and what it means. And I wanted to just kick off. Um, I know there's something you're passionate about and the topic is kind of tech adoption and a forced tech adoption, what it means in the short term and the long term. I'd love, I'd love for you to, to share some of your thoughts on that. Um, well, it's, it's quite interesting, right? All the work from home um, that started to, it seemed like over a few days we went from being testing in a lot of different agencies and companies and organizations, um, actually having to do half um, or full company tests on remote working, because while many of them had remote working, um, it wasn't something that the majority of um, employees would be doing at any one time. It was actually the minority. And now um, the, I guess, technical infrastructure requirements um, and the gateways and everything that are needed to manage that many people connecting to VPN at the same time or hopping onto you know video conferences or anything else is something that the businesses um, rightly recognized they weren't ready for and needed to try and test and very quickly set some things up. And I know... Um, 
there are even some businesses still that functions aren't able to work remotely. However, um, the vast majority now of non-essential and, well, yeah, all non-essential as of tomorrow, if nothing else, is New Zealand reaches stage four, will be required to work um, remotely and offices shuttered. And so um, very quickly, we've seen it go from few people and early adopters on the remote working and the work from home vibes, you know, dealing with all of the wonderful um, collaborative networking technology that's available um, to now yep. everybody, right? Um, boomers. That's right. And I, was, I was giggling because we've got three, three people at home right now. Um, Carly, my wife, is working um, remotely. You and I are recording a podcast and my daughter is going to school um, all on different platforms and all absolutely just choking our Wi-Fi. So I was giggling, not because of the fact that we all have to adopt this, but because not only is it imperative that businesses have this tech, <laughs> but that home Wi-Fi systems can, can adapt to it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, shout out, apparently Chorus and the telcos seem to be doing pretty well um, because yes. I haven't heard anything crazy about us losing um, internet or anything else, which would have been a disaster, I'm sure. Yeah, that is amazing, actually. Um, huge shout out to those to those folks working. I'm sure they're working full time overnight. Um, I know the telcos are right now, especially with um, some of the outages we had yesterday. Yeah. 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 So back to what you were saying around, you know, the, the businesses making sure that they had their tests in place and that people who are, quote unquote, are non-essential workers are able to continue to deliver the value they need to deliver to the business and really to the community right now. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think this has been uh, trying times, you know, like may you live in interesting times and these are definitely those. Um, and so with the pandemic and all of the uproar around that, the silver lining, I guess we can look to is perhaps how um, it's driving this technology adoption and will inevitably result in, I guess it being better developed as well, because you know yes. everybody's got gripes about Slack or Teams or you know Skype or whatever else, <laughs> and all of these technologies are in a place where they're trying, and they're trying to not just recreate in-person working, right? But the goal for these technologies is actually to you know enhance, um, you know do better than, not um, yes. the same as what in-person working looks like. And, you know, through use of AR, VR um, and a number of the different um, intelligent kind of meeting uh, tech, you can actually create that experience. But we've had a really clunky kind of start to that. You know, you still need IT to come in half the time when you're looking at trying to get um, the video conferencing set up at the office. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people call me and IT. <laughs> only half the time? Yeah, only half the time. <laughs> But that's a reflection that the technology is not as mature as it could be, right? It's not as easy Correct. to use as it should be um, because people still aren't able to do what they want to do. They still have to try and sort out the tech. And so I think with this, um, like, basically overnight uptake, right, that's taken down, I think the team servers in APAC crashed as the Outbaker was getting bad there as well, just because wow. so many concurrent users tried to do all their meetings on it all at once. But um, <laughs> all the platforms are pulling together to get things sorted. And as such, no doubt there'll be more engineering resource. Um, there'll be more um, data captured to optimize the experience. And yes. maybe we'll come out of this with some better um, remote working solutions and we went into it with. Oh, I agree with you completely. I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit, um, kind of off the record about that the forced adoption and, and also the forced adaption 
to technology is is not going to be a negative thing. I can already see positive changes going forward. You know, I was thinking about the travel industry and how hard they've been hit right now and them having to look at potentially and, and most likely a new normal after this as people start to realize, wow, the in-person meetings are great, but we might be able to travel less and to do more face-to-face through tech that sure it's scary right now because I don't know if you've heard Brene Brown's newest um, podcast that she released, but she's talking about FFT the fucking first times and how hard it is and like how sucky it is to learn new, new things. And that comes with the tech adoption. So it's like leaning into the suck and we're we're doing that now. (laughs) We're being forced to lean into the suck and to learn new things. So I feel like there's going to be a lot, like you said, of silver linings and positivity that comes out of this for humans and for businesses. Yeah. And, you know, the um, FFTs, I guess, expand beyond some of those and even depending slightly more controversial, but the concept of privacy as well um, is one that I think is being challenged quite quickly. Um, The easy example everyone likes to point to for privacy is China. But um, China, I was reading about, had rolled out um, a technology solution to help people identify if they'd potentially been exposed to coronavirus. Um, And it came through an app, but it leveraged everything from like um, at least. okay. so they didn't explicitly say. However, the direct implication is things like the facial recognition they have um, going on, you know, public transport sites and everything else. um, The phone location information, all of these different pieces of data that um, they've been able to pull together to then actually say, hey, you were within range or proximity of someone who may have been infected. You need to quarantine or self-isolate or what have you. Um, And clearly, like the privacy implications there, but there's similarly, as we adopt remote working and everything else, all of this data that was once um, offline, quote unquote, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of what you say and how you interact with people and everything is being tracked and recorded in these systems. Um, And, you know, the the use of cameras and microphones and everything else, like all of these different pieces of tech are starting to challenge um, a notion of privacy that we don't have the luxury of trying to fight back against anymore. You know what I mean? Um, I totally do. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that goes to, and I don't know, maybe it's the rose colored glasses that I love to don all the time. I'm like, I'm okay with a little bit of that, but to your point, like where's, where's the line, who's going to draw that line, who's going to enforce it because You know, even small things I'm seeing in New Zealand, which is New Zealand's pretty good with this kind of stuff, is we went to go buy a thermometer the other day and we just didn't have a thermometer in the house. None of us are sick, but we had to give over so much of our personal information, our phone number, where we live, our names, where we'd been earlier that day. And when you think about the implications for that, like you're saying online for businesses, what kind of IP then can you actually, do you have to start talking in code? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, the, the eagle has landed. The eagle has <laughs> landed. But so all of these things, I think, um, yeah, that that forced um, adoption, you know, mm. um, across a number of different places. Even I wonder what the implications will be on vaccines, you know, um, and yes. you know, the rise of anti-vaxxers and everything else that we've seen over a relatively quiet period in terms of pandemics and viruses and um, such. Um, now is they're quickly um, racing to develop a vaccine for coronavirus are those same people who weren't interested in vaccines um, previously going to maintain that or will they rather um, be willing to accept it because the threat is more real you know that's right personal rights versus 
data and Big Brother and all of those kinds of things. Mm. So yes, very, yeah. Very I mean, data. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dive into anti-vaxxers with you because wow, we could go <laughs> real deep. <laughs> let's keep it. Let's keep it tech. Um, I'm really curious to get your point. So you manage um, a pretty big team. You manage a high-performing team. As we look to adapting to new quote-unquote normal ways of working, how do you see your role as a leader, not just a manager, but a leader in ensuring your teams are working to their best ability, that they have the tools that they need, that they're utilizing them, and that they are you know, healthy, happy, sentient humans who want to continue to work while potentially in more isolated circumstances? Yeah. Um, really good question. And I think something that, you know, many people across NZ and the world are facing at the moment, um, is we look to, as I look to the team, it's a really interesting balance. Um, I thought initially, you know, especially a couple of weeks ago, I think many of us were in the same place where it was kind of, um, a bit far away, um, the, you know, kind of yeah. impending crisis, if you will. Um, yes. and it only became more real day by day by day. Um, and through all that, um, I think there's a duty to maintain uh, progress and, you know, continue to seek to work despite it and not just focus and get too caught up in it. I've seen um, some younger people across um, the industry and some of the organizations we work with who are just like so distracted that they're crippled, right? Like they can't, yes. they can't focus on anything but like this virus because <laughs> it's so scary and it's all anybody you're ever talking about. And there's updates every 10 minutes on the, you know, in the newspapers and on the websites. And so they're like just in this like spiral of coronavirus um, memes effectively, and they're not able to pull out and focus on anything else. And I think that's a real danger because at the same time, you know, this the development of how this has come across is scary. It's scary for everybody yes. in a lot of different ways, um, whether you're scared about the virus itself or its societal impact or its financial impacts and, you know, ultimately like your job and your livelihood. And so you, you run the risk of just focusing on that so intently that you actually don't get any work done and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. Where like <laughs> Correct. You, correct. No that's work. just humanity, right? That's, yeah. that's psycho psychology and, and psychological, I guess, um, fucked upness in these kinds of times. I've had to social media isolate, not just social isolate, because this, the din of content makes it so hard to focus and to see that, that just that little positive piece in front of you that goes, I have a few tasks to do. Let me get those tasks done. You're 100% correctly. Um, gosh, it must be hard to lead through this time then. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, but um, <laughs> I think and there's that balance, right? Because part of me was like, oh, it's just another big viral pandemic. Like people, you know, like to freak out a little bit, um, see how this goes. But as it's become more and more uh, close to home, I suppose, down here in NZ as well, um, there's that fine balance of being understanding um, mm -hmm. and, you know, like ensuring that people are um, emotionally and personally well um and yes. coping and their family's okay and that everything's um that you're able to offer that level of understanding and support for what people are going through um within their own context as well as trying to kind of keep keep the momentum going in the machine right. learning you know and so that's that's it, right it is a funny balance to strike i imagine um i know just with you know some of the folks that i've been working with that 
it's it's been a, a time where it feels like the one-on-one checking in has been super helpful. Um, and then rallying the troops as a team has been more of the challenge. So getting everybody together across the, the you know, the disparate, not only geographical locations, but to what we talked about earlier to get that tech working. So the one-on-one support that I've noticed, and I've seen a lot of my friends who are leaders who've been checking in daily and having, you know, 15 to 20 minute conversations almost all day, just seeing how people are going. I found that that's been so powerful so that even as the tech progresses, it's, it's going back to that real empathetic, real core value of, and it's amazing that Jacinda talks about it all the time too. Our prime minister, she talks about kindness, being kind. And it feels like as teams move forward and continue at pace to be super high functioning uh, remotely, it's up to the leaders now to take that, that step back and go, actually, I'm just going to take care of the human and I'm going to allow my team to be awesome um, and I'll take care of them right now. Yeah, um, 100%. And so, you know, we've been having remote stand-ups and a number of different things across the team um, to try and like uh, bring everybody together and allow that collaboration and high functioning um, to still occur. Uh, but yeah, I, I suppose it does kind of strike that it's more and more the leader's responsibility to look after the individual um, and create, I guess, a safe enough environment for the team to thrive. Yeah, yeah. When um, and, and talking about thriving teams and potentially working from home or wherever the other locations are that people are working remotely, what kind of routines are you putting into place? Because I feel like people with routines, when you're working in a new, you know, when you're getting your new groove going having somewhere to be at a certain time helps. Are you doing, so you've got your standups daily. Do you have that for everybody across your teams? Do you have different things going on? What's your cadence looking like? Yeah. Um, so we have some all agency meetings. We used to have every Monday in person and what have you across mm-hmm. um, the entirety of like all the different departments and disciplines. And those are something that we're um, working. I think we're going to trial our first one tomorrow now um, that we've nice. uh, closed the office. And so that'll be really interesting. You know, get a couple hundred people or so on a, a conference call and see how we manage that. But, somebody will be eating. Somebody will need to mute their yeah. <laughs> cue. Can you mute yourself, please? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I keep reminding people who are running these video conferences that they can mute um, the various participants. Um, so that's yes. a pro tip for you is video <laughs> conferencing. If somebody um, can't manage to mute their own mic, you can always do it for them. Um, but yeah, and so that that kind of stuff is funny. And I think you just have to laugh at it, right? Um, and this was, um, we were talking about this and maybe on a post or something the other day, but it's like if you have your kids run through or your cat knock something over or like whatever <laughs> else, like don't like freak out and try and turn everything off. It's just like the... Um, there's a little bit more understanding, I guess, that people will need to approach this type of remote working with, um, you know, given. Oh, totally. Totally. We have to give each other that kind of kindness. I was saying um, to, to Carly yesterday that we are all that journalist who had his two little kids run in and then his wife came and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just grabbed them and pulled them out and he went viral. We are all him now. Yeah. We feel him now. <laughs> um, or, yeah. And you're just like, oh, am I... Um, a lot of people are not dressing up, you know, in the same way they would if they're going out to work, um, which is cool. And to be honest, I'm not um, necessarily either. But I do think you need to be as comfortable 
um, enough to be able to connect with people. I, I made a, thing totally. a few days ago that's um, been getting pretty good feedback, but just this concept around um, that face-to-face connection is so important. Uh, yes. Even if you're not dressed up or you're, you know, don't have your face on or whatever that looks like, uh, I've, the eye contact and being able to read facial expressions and just like seeing another human is there um, yes. is weirdly um, important. Uh, and so, yeah, I... It's a funny one. I did. I've been letting my hair grow out a little bit. I've got like curly <laughs> red hair. Um, and now that all the non-essential businesses are closed for four weeks, oh no! <laughs> I reckon I'm going to come out of this with a pretty wicked afro, or maybe some Pro City USA. Yeah, yeah. Unless I um, unless I give in and buzz my head at some point, I'll probably be rocking a wicked fro. Um, come. I've got I've got lots of hats because I have very similar hair to yours. Yeah. So if you need a hat, I will come and drop one to you. Oh, you. <laughs> Lord, leave it at the door and just go. I'll come find it. Yeah. Um, I think you should know because you can't see me right now and I can't see you. I got dressed for the first time in like three weeks today in something other than active wear for you. And I even put on my face. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So FYI, I could be lying to you right now, exactly. but I'm not. No one, no one would know. Um, I'll send you photographic evidence. Yeah, <laughs> but you're right. You're you're right about uh, the importance of micro expressions and being able to read our colleagues' faces and to actually just have really cool conversations. Right. I was eavesdropping uh, on my wife yesterday, talking to to her boss, her manager, and I think they talked about business for about five minutes, and then they talked twenty minutes about their families and about other things that were happening. And you know, you could see them looking at each other and having a giggle and she got off that phone call and was like, wow, I really love the people I work with. And I thought, what a cool thing to see unfold in, in these, I hate to use the word, but it is, they're unprecedented times for us. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, the, the connections and the type of conversations and things that people are having are quite, um, I don't know, different or markedly different to what we were seeing before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I ask, shall we, Go ahead, go ahead. How did you find, you said today's the first day you got dressed in not active wear in a while and you put your face on and everything. Um, yeah. One of the things I'd been reading about um, is, you know, people look at work from home tips and everything else is just yes. that. Um, it's like, um, you know, what are the uh, piece of advice the author had put in was like, don't just like lay in bed and wear your pajamas all day. Um, you know, <laughs> get up, get dressed, you know, like, um, you know, set up a working location actually create a little bit of personal context or circumstance that even if it's for no one else's benefit but your own kind of demarcates the difference between like work time and leisure time Mm. Um, i've seen i've seen a glut of of that kind of content and some of it i have to giggle at and maybe it's it's my age maybe it's it's being you know on the on the on the the fast slope down to 40 soon um I think as you get to know yourself and you understand how you work, um, those kinds of tips are super important and helpful. As for me, I've been working in digital and social media for over a decade now. So the funniest thing that people tend to realize when they get into kind of our line of business is the people in social and digital are usually the least social because we have to go and work in a quiet corner and be on our own time and understand the tasks we need to get done. So for me, working in my active wear for the last three weeks has been awesome because it means I can get up, I can do two hours in the morning, usually from five to 7 a.m. I know my brain works best then. 
Then I can go for a walk. After my walk, I'm back. And I do really believe in having a space to work. So our house has been kind of partitioned into the living room is for our daughter who's doing her high school right now. Um, the, the kitchen and the, the lounge um, just adjacent is for Carly. And I have been sent down to the cave that is our garage to work. But what it means is <laughs> I have a desk, right? I have my pens, my pencils, my highlighters. I've got all of my outputs. I've got um, my computer and all of the setups that I need. And the same goes for the rest of our family. So I think that having that space is really important. Hmm. Um, one thing that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about, but I've seen around the fringes and what I'm noticing is that it's really, really easy to let work consume you when you're at home. So when you're in your own space and your own space also becomes workspace, being able to turn off and go, actually, I'm allowed to take 15 minute breaks at work. I'm going to, I'm going to start the day and end the day. There has to be some kind of start and end through this time. Otherwise we run the risk of burning out um, mentally, I believe. Yeah. How are you handling that kind of stuff? Because I know, I know how you work and you, you're busy a lot, but that's also, I think it has to do with our meeting culture. When we're in offices and stuff, we are meeting all day. So we need to actually do our mahi and our work in the hours outside of that. How are you handling that at home now? Yeah, that's been really interesting for me because that is to a T um, <clears throat> how uh, my normal work day was going. You know, I would basically be in meetings from 8.30 to 5.30. Um, and I get work done before and or after um, those hours. Um, and I, I never really considered myself a fully functioning extrovert. I've always referred to myself as semi-social um, in the sense, you know, <laughs> like I, I can do it and I enjoy socializing and kind of bringing energy and engaging with people. However, I still really enjoy my cue time. Um, and I just like, you know, sometimes to have space in, um, the ability to, yeah, recharge in a more introverted way as well, but not having all those meetings and face-to-face -face interactions with people throughout the day and visiting different clients and doing whatever else is already starting to like, give me an itch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm really struggling with that three weeks into it. And I have to say that's been my biggest struggle. It's not been output. It's not been productivity. It's been, holy shit, I just missed the banter. I miss, you know, sitting and having a coffee with you at Miller's. I miss those kinds of things. Yeah. And for me, that's where the magic happens, right? Um, the, the rest of the work can be quite functional, but the opportunities you spot that you weren't aware of and all the different things that you can um, come up with by just engaging with people and having hallway conversations or meetings or face-to-face -face or whatever else, my team knows um, very well, I think, a lot of people kind of give me a, a, some shit for it, but the concept of me never being at my desk, because yeah. even when I'm not at meetings, I'll like come back to my desk for a second. I'll like open stuff up and like kind of check on things and see how the team's going. And then like, I just get up and I'll like walk around to the different floors or something and go visit somebody in a different department or, you know, like kind of do a lap and chat to people or something else and then come back to my desk for a few more minutes between meetings and blah, blah. But I'm, I'm not very stationary in front of my workstation. Um, and just yes. like cranking out outputs in that regards, I like have really leaned into the other side of it. And so now it's, it's definitely been a bit of, um, a mental uh, challenge or aerobics, if you will, to 
focus myself throughout the day on um, kind of executing and coordinating deliverables remotely. Um, and even, you know, having little chats here and there with people and checking on the vid cam is fun, but it's definitely not the same. Um, and it's hard to pace around on video calls and I'm a big pacer as well. Same. I'm sitting on the floor right now downstairs, as I said, in the little cavern of our garage. Mm. And <laughs> just, just lay you know, there's that, like you said, that little itch to just get out, um, it would be, you know, having you in the room is a completely different buzz, which let's talk about that a little bit. So if we're looking at as professionals delivering value through digital platforms right now, even not just the way that we're interacting as, as um, internal colleagues and in business and business functions, how do we how do we better bring that buzz to to the room now if we're not all sitting in that room? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, Um and I think it's actually, funnily enough, twofold. In some things that we've been, um, I've been talking about a lot uh, for in-person meetings, but I think is just as true for these, if not more so, which is like, first of all, come prepped, like know, yes. know what the meeting's about, read the pre-reads, um, have a vague understanding of why you're there and what you stand to contribute before the call. Um, so that you are prepared, right? Um, especially, yes. I think there's going to be more individual attention as you work in vid conferences, you know? Um, so it will be like, hold on, and I will unmute this person. And Cassie, what do you think? And then unmute, and it's Carly, what do you think? You know, and you go around yeah. one by one kind of and give people an opportunity to contribute because it's super important for inclusion, right? In these kind of like video conferencing um, environments. And so you should have that opportunity on the video conference. And so you should not squander it by not knowing what the meeting's about or what's going on and spending the first 10 minutes figuring that out. Um, I think yes. tonally, that actually goes a long way to helping the meeting feel productive and people like feeling productive. So it brings a little bit of vibe and energy. Um, and then the other ones, uh, I suppose the same thing that comes with in-person and why probably I chucked in that um, you know comment about leaving your, turning on your webcam and making that connection with people. Uh, you, you can bring it by the way you like, lean in and you move in the intonation in your voice in the you know expression on your face um that's right you can make fun um little jokes with different things behind you on the video cam i've seen some of that start to pop up like whatever <laughs> else and showing that you're creating that cool environment but um yeah. fundamentally just by yeah bringing that energy and you know like punctuating the things that you're saying and leaning in and smiling and opening your eyes you know like those types of things can still create that environment um and get other people to smile across the video cam you know and kind of understand where you're at and bring a little bit of that energy and buzz yeah and you know um beyond the energy and buzz a few pro tips i know that i've been noticing recently that um, are helping people with that connection is to what you just said. Number one, lean in, get as close as you can. That's um, comfortable enough for you. Uh, get your grill right up in that camera. Uh, when you are speaking, when it's your turn to speak, look at the camera, uh, whether you're using an external camera or the, or the webcam on your computer, look into that, treat the camera. Like those are the eyes of the people around the room. It's amazing how comforting it is when somebody leans in, looks into the webcam, and it feels like they're actually looking at you, that that connective tissue through the digital platform really helps. And I think the third thing is to what you said there, once, you, once you, you're leaning in and you're, you're looking at that webcam like you're looking at humans, is watch your intonation. 
Uh, a lot of people talk really, really fast. Slow it right back down a little bit if you can. Bring to your point, once you have uh, yourself prepped and ready, have your top three things that you want to say, don't just waffle on. So, you know, I think little changes in how people use the tech and how they they gaze into that camera, which can be really disconcerting to do if you can't see the people looking back at you, but it's helpful. You know, those things help as well with having a true connection with people when they're not in the room with you. Yes, so much so. Um, have you found any other pro tips? You know, because you got a bit of a head start on the work from home game um, in some ways. <laughs> you know, it was not my best idea to quit corporate life a week before a global pandemic hit. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the biggest pro tip is that if you have a nice quiet space and if you're lucky enough to have earphones and a microphone, that's super helpful. But just a positive outlook helps. I was sitting on the floor yesterday, kind of, I'm just going to tell you, I was sitting on the floor weeping because I am literally struggling with this FFT, this fucking first time of being really uncomfortable and sitting in, in, a, in a world of discomfort and who am I without all of the output and the productivity and the meetings and the coworkers and the structure. So trying to build structure. So you know, one of the biggest things that we can do is to kind of sit in the discomfort, feel the discomfort, understand it. And then when we start to reach back out to people and we start to fill our souls as well as our brains, it's just so important to keep a positivity, to keep a positive spirit about you. I was, we got our, we share custody with our daughter and she came back to us yesterday and it looks like she might be with us now for the next four weeks. So for me right now, uh, as much as I like to, to tease and say my timing was shithouse for um, <laughs> starting a new business on the cusp of a pandemic, um, we were prepared. I prepared financially for a zombie apocalypse. So for the next year, financially, we're sound. My wife has a great job. And now I get to spend four weeks at home with my kid. I haven't done that since she was born. So yeah. looking at the positive side of things, it, it helps our colleagues. It helps the people we're working with uh, tremendously. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, you know, the I, I suppose the vulnerability of kind of admitting to that. But I think a lot of people are going to be facing it. And that's one of the, um, the scary things, you know, one of my friends is quite passionate about, but just so concerned about the mental health implications of this isolation period um, and what that will do to people um, when, you know, they don't have that connection and that ability to um, hang out with people. And you do, you can get quite insular and you know like things like depression or whatever else start to creep in um and so i think that's where this type of engagement and connection is more and more important and i mean i've seen it myself yeah. in these scary times right like i've spoken to my folks and my friends abroad and all of these people far more than i had when everything was kind of uh tickety boo and everybody yeah. was you know going yeah. along with the normal lives that's right that's right um I was, uh, <laughs> I put a post up yesterday on Facebook. I feel like um, I'm posting way more on Facebook, but the posts are literally about family and friends to what you said, that tickety-boo time, whereas we're just busy with work. We're busy, you know? We live in this culture of busy. And now that we're slowing down, we're going, oh, shit. I haven't talked to my best friend in California since I saw them a year ago. So we're scheduling in, like, weekly boozy get-togethers, um, through Facebook Messenger because it's it's 
it makes us happy and it reminds us of what's important. So I think while we try to unpack tech and we try to unpack all of these tools that we need for working, it's also important to remember all of the humans that are, are going through this alongside us. Yeah. And I mean, I was actually felt really bad. I've been so disconnected. Um, I spent most of my life in Washington state growing up and still have lots of family and friends there. Um, I didn't even realize that was like ground zero for the coronavirus outbreak in the States. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I just, yeah, it was so in my own little world. Um, so yeah, it, it is, it's quite important, I guess. And perhaps another one of those silver linings, um, you know, the concept that we're reconnecting with all these people. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, on that, you know me and you know my love for storytelling and brand and narratives and content and and gathering all of the wicked nerdy stuff that you do with with data and extrapolating out insights. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, businesses right now and maybe that, that external push um, towards what we're seeing being sent out and put into the, the ether, so to speak, and and how we can... I guess as professionals in the marketing and advertising industry add more value instead of simply more of a din when it comes to content and emails and, and connecting with people, maybe erroneously. Um, I saw a post on LinkedIn this morning by Tom Fishburne, which was really cool. He said, we've been going through like the top three tiers of brand communication during coronavirus. And it's like, I think the first tier was going like, Hey, Here's what we're doing about it. Here's some processes and procedures. So just so you know, you're healthy. The second one was like uh, the kind of we think we should say we're all in this together. And the third is just a completely random. I bought some cat food from you uh, 14 years ago and you're going to email me about maybe purchasing again in these these hard times. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of reaching DEFCON 4. And I guess the output of that was we are inundated and awash with data and information like we talked about earlier. But when is it appropriate to communicate and when do we just need to sit in the discomfort of silence, you know, of speaking when it's important and instead, you know, doing because we need to. What are your thoughts on brand communications and cadence and what's going on now? It's a really tricky question. Um, and I think there's a lot of gray area because, you know, people use the word profiteering with clear negative connotation um, in -hmm. terms of, you know, like benefiting off of the strife um, that's being caused and the fear, um, you know, so I think the examples of people hoarding and, you know, raking up the prices for hand sanitizer and masks and things like that is an example thereof um, that um, people largely agree with as being um, immoral, right? And like, you know, unethical. However, at the same time, like, where's the line, right? So like people who now um, are just promoting their old existing customer value propositions or CVPs around things like free shipping or what have you, you know, are still kind of capitalizing on um, the environment to drive their product sales and whatever else. But uh, I guess attempting to do so in a a way that's more useful or potentially relevant um, to the consumer. And that one seems like largely okay, depending on how it's executed. Um, 
I guess so. There's, yeah, just going out to make as much money as possible, not cool. The next stage down is like still trying to make money, but trying to be relevant and useful to consumers. And then you start getting into the not trying to make money at all, at least right now, kind of um, layer of messaging. And then ultimately you can get, I guess, all the way down to the bottom of true, like altruism and just, you know, trying to donate or whatever else. And is that in this case not saying anything? Um, and I think that's a really interesting question. I think people still need yeah. information, you know? So like there's a Correct. there's a duty or a responsibility to like continue putting stuff out there. And if you don't or we don't as brands who have, you know, historically controlled a lot of the inventory and narrative of those eyeballs, um, something else and someone else will. And that may not be better either. Um, but the question then becomes, what do we say? How frequently do we say it? You know, and um, I guess what what is the driving force behind what we're saying? Is it to make money or is it to help people? Yeah. So you and I talked about um, just this before. And some of the things that I've been seeing are just fantastic around the brands and brand communication when customer value, to your point, the CVP, what's the customer value proposition? What is the actual value um, is centered around the customer and not the brand? I've seen a lot of smaller businesses um pivoting really quickly and really well towards what you were saying, you know, whether it's free delivery or it is making available to certain parts of the, uh, the public or the population who need it more um, pharmaceuticals or certain things that will make their lives easier. I've seen a lot of, uh, again, it's the smaller brands doing it really well, probably because they're able to be more agile. Mm. Um, you and I talked about the other day, I think, Q, I was really surprised. We ordered Domino's pizza the other night while we were still able to and popped up right online through Domino's that said we can now deliver um, without any interaction, without any touching. And I was like, well, first of all, hoorah, I've never touched my Domino's pizza delivery person, but... <laughs> Um, also what a fantastic thing to have this up, um, to add the value of, you know, whether it was, uh, proposed safety or just uh, in thoughtfulness, uh, from a big business here in a smaller country, what kind of brands do you think are doing this really well right now? And, and are big brands and small brands alike able to truly add this value? Yeah. Um, Solid, right? And the Domino's example is a good one. We um, I think we mentioned like Uber Eats was doing the same kind of thing. Um, the brands that I've noticed that are doing at least what feels the most genuine because best is an interesting one, right? But the most genuine are coming from the most genuine businesses, which are small businesses around here and the ones potentially getting hit hardest by um, what's been happening with all the closures and everything else and people not going out anymore. So there's a lot of, you know, couples or mom and pop shops that people have started, whether it's a little restaurant or a cafe or a bar or whatever else that are just like, dying right like at the moment yeah. and they were yeah. there was a big content push you could see it you know they'd up their instagram content and they started posting more and everything else indicating that they're less busy but it was um you know we have medical grade sanitation wipes you know we here's us like cleaning down the whole shop and making sure everything's clean there's plenty of space so you can keep social distancing while you hang out. But they were trying to do all of these things to alleviate people's concerns and I guess keep um, their business alive. Right. And that, yes. that felt like, I don't know, I felt that 
more significantly than any of the brand plates um, that came along, right? Because it's actual people, they've got one location, and when they shut their doors, you know, they don't know how they're necessarily going to pay their rent or do anything else. So that felt the most genuine and futile in a lot of ways because, you know, at the time this was all happening, I knew that no matter how well any given one or collection of restaurants had done and kind of, you know, ensuring their sanitation practices, that the closure was going to come regardless, right? And it wouldn't be because of them or, you know, the fact that they didn't have good sanitation. It's because the virus is going to spread, you know, much more broadly anyway. And there's not a lot that um, we could have done to kind of stop that. And so for all their best efforts in trying, it still ended up in the same inevitable place that we ended up, you know? That's right. And I think what's happened even more broadly with, with what you're just saying now too, is that I've seen a lot of Kiwis specifically here, because this is my frame of reference, obviously, moving towards let's go help the local takeaway. Let's go help the local dairy. Let's go shop small right now, which is, which is heartening. It's been beautiful to see that. Whereas at the same time yesterday, after Jacinda announced that we were going into level three, moving to level four, I have never seen so much pandemonium and panic in my life. It felt like we were (laughs) in those beginning stages where June in the handmaid's tale has her, like her little go back in time, her memories of, of, as the world was starting to head towards Gilead. Um, there were lines around the corners at the New World. You could see the poor folks that worked there, you know, the young people on minimum wage trying to handle big, anxious groups of people. And for me, it was this real push and pull of supporting these local businesses. And to your point, just knowing that it was going to it was going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's nice to see that the government uh, was prepared for this and had spent a lot of time, you can tell, planning um, to be able to help keep businesses and people afloat during the next four weeks. Um, so I don't actually have all the answers. I wish I did. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of us do at this time. Right. But yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We've been, we've been chit chatting for 45 minutes. I feel like we should do this again, um, in the near future. If, um, I'd love to get a parting thought from you as far as we talked about. So today we've talked about uh, managing teams from afar. We've talked about um, quickly adapting and adopting new technology. We've talked about, you know, leading with heart and with empathy. And we've, we've talked about brand and, you know, genuine ways of interacting and adding value and authenticity. What's your parting shot to you for this morning? Oh, um, <laughs> Small little little question. Well, yeah. <laughs> Not to yeah. put you on the spot. <laughs> um, we're we're looking at a a small subset of the implications from a monumental kind of event, you know, or occurrence. At least once a century is kind of how people are treating it and looking like. And so even you know the the forced tech adoption and the way brands communicate and managing high performing teams and staying connected in these digital times is important but it also feels small um so and i guess so i'm aware of the the broader and bigger things happening around us but i do think that there's a genuine opportunity um for us to kind of consciously communicate collaborate um around this area and drive um, positive change, hopefully, or at least ease some people's um, challenges and issues as they work through some of the things that we've discussed here today. 
Um, and so that's, that's all I'm hoping for, I suppose, is we continue and hopefully produce a little bit more content and keep teasing out some of these topics is to, um, be able to have an impact on the communities and the industries that we work in, um, to ultimately play our part in having us come out in a better place or as good of a better place as we can, um, when this thing passes, because one thing that I'm equally certain of is that this too shall pass. Um, humans are a very resilient species and, you know, there will be a lot of things that have changed, but ultimately we're going to come out of this, uh, the other side of this or some of us at least. And, um, uh, you know, we have an opportunity to capitalize on, um, and build something, um, stronger and more beautiful. I agree. I agree. This is the time for us to collectively, um, kind of, I guess not crystal ball gaze, but to, to, to know that um, we are all feeling discomfort. We are all feeling uncertain. And that, um, again, as Brene Brown says, uh, we just need to lean into the suck and we need to do it together. And uh, the more honest and open we can be with each other about things we know, things we don't know, and, and things that are maybe scary, um, but also things that are beautiful and okay, I think that this is the time for us all to share that a little bit more widely and to, to share our vulnerabilities. And I don't think that means, you know, <laughs> telling all your deep, deepest, darkest secrets, but, but just being aware that we're all going to be a little anxious. We're all going to be a little stressed, but that um, we're all going to be okay in the end. I, I truly believe that. So Q, as always, I love you, dude. You're an amazing human. And Thank you for the chats. Um, let's do it again real soon. Yeah. So much love, Cassie. Thanks again. Um, and yeah, look forward to catching up soon. Stay safe. You too. Thanks, Q. Thank you, everybody, for listening in today. As always, it is a pleasure to chat with Q. He's not only one of the nicest humans, I know he is also one of the smartest. So it is lovely to share time with him. In the coming weeks, Q and I are going to be diving deeper into other topics around the changing world that we are living in and navigating right now. We'll be talking data, we'll be talking privacy, we'll be talking empathy, we'll be talking implications for the world going forward. If you have any questions or if there's anything you'd like us to talk about, drop us a line. Slide into my DMs on the Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn. We're here for you. We're here together. Be well, be safe, be kind, and stay home.